Welcome to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkoff, Features Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, Senior Reporter at Jezebel. And somehow this has been an even more fucked up week than last week. How is that even possible, Prachi? It's beyond me. Uh, All I can say is that it feels like we're watching democracy crumble before our eyes and that I sound like the paranoid character in one of those dystopian action thrillers who's... The one who's right. Yeah, the one who's right who is dismissed as crazy (laughs) in the first 30 minutes of the movie and then suddenly is right, but then is... But you're the only one who built, like, the tinfoil helmet. So you're the only one who's protected. Except Except I think a lot of us agree. (laughs) Right. Except that this is an entire industry or several industries of people who now feel this way. And also there's, like, no tinfoil helmet that we could build or buy that would protect us from it. Yeah, I'm still looking (laughs) for my metaphorical tinfoil helmet. (laughs) Same. Okay. Later in the episode, we're going to speak with immigration attorney Tahani Abushi, who is a partner with the Abushi Law Firm that handles immigration and civil rights and organizes the JFK no-ban lawyers. You know, we're holding up our phone and saying, look, there's a federal order. And they were like, why are you showing me your phone? Do you want me to look through your phone? But first, we need to focus on this week in weenies, because if we don't focus on the little guys, they're never going to get any attention at all. Yeah, because we need to just keep holding these people accountable. And as Awful as what's going on in a federal level, we have a lot of other lawmakers and politicians fucking shit up. (laughs) Okay, first, so this didn't happen this week, but I still think it deserves to be part of the week in weenies. So first weenie of the week is Republican Representative William Marsh from New Hampshire who has introduced a bill in the state which would require, quote, corroboration in sexual assault cases. So corroboration, he says, would have to include an eyewitness account and physical evidence. This is absurd. It's already so hard to prosecute sexual assault cases, and this bill shows absolutely zero understanding of how sexual assault works, of how victims respond to sexual assault, and how hard it is to even admit and come forward to say you were sexually assaulted, let alone finding somebody to corroborate that. This is is absurd. So much of this happens without any witnesses or people who are reluctant to come forward. So apparently, according to ABC News, Marsh created the bill after hearing the story of a New Hampshire psychotherapist who was convicted for molesting a minor, and Marsh still believes that this psychotherapist was innocent. Apparently, Sergeant Sean Ford of the Concord Police Department said to ABC News, it's really nothing short of the nation's first pedophile protection act. There was a time when something like this would seem on the face ludicrous, but now in Trump's America, Bills like this are becoming, are seeming like they're more and more plausible. I mean, we have a commander-in-chief who's bragged about sexually assaulting women. Okay, that has been Representative William Marsh. Our second big slash little weenie is (laughs) House Speaker Paul Ryan, who now is in support of Donald Trump's executive order that bars immigrants and refugees from coming into America. But, you know, During the campaign, Paul Ryan spoke out against this very same ban, which was proposed time and time and time again on the campaign trail by Donald Trump. So as late as July 31st in 2016, Paul Ryan said, a religious test for entering our country is not reflective of America's fundamental values. I reject it. 
so Paul Ryan has now shown that he is not only really spineless, but he really is willing to go with whatever Donald Trump says. All of the hatred that I have for all of, like, the fratty assholes of my college who probably were fine but just, like, contributed to a lot of, like, displeasure and sadness to me. I am channeling right at him, and he deserves all of that hate and but so much more. I could not agree more with that. Okay, let's move on to our second ever dick of the week. Is not Donald Trump, but it's Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. So why is Steve Bannon our dick of the week when he could be the dick of so many other weeks? Uh, Because he's clearly the one running things at the White House. He is Trump's chief strategist. Now he's been appointed by Trump to the National Security Council, which is unprecedented. This man, you know, he had no government experience, no policy experience. He ran Breitbart, which was a platform for that was embraced by white supremacists. So not only is he a self-professed white nationalist and leader of the so-called alt-right movement, which is a white supremacy movement. He, I'm going to read you a quote of something that he said in the Daily Beast that shows exactly what his goals are. I want to bring everything crashing down and destroy all of today's establishment. Wow. What a good quote for somebody who's currently leading the free world. He also said in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter in November 2016, I love this quote. Darkness is good. Dick Cheney, Darth Vader, Satan, that's power. It only helps us when they get it wrong, when they are blind to who we are and what we're doing. That quote sounds straight up like it's from a vi- like a Marvel comic movie. Like a and bad Marvel movie. A very bad one, yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the moment where the hero walks into the room and Steve Bannon swivels around in his old chair and gives his like intention speech. For the movie. And you're like, okay, we get it. Stop. <laughs> we get your character. Um, in general, Steve Bannon sucks. In 1996, he was charged with misdemeanor domestic violence and battery. He was accused of choking his now ex-wife and grabbing her arm. And then the case was dropped when she didn't testify in court. And then also in divorce papers, his ex-wife said that he refused to marry her just because she was pregnant and made her have a test to make sure the babies were, quote, normal before eventually agreeing to marry her because he found that they were, quote, normal. He's also the leader of, like, a pro-life administration. Um, His wife also said in divorce proceedings reportedly that Bannon doesn't like Jews and didn't want his children going to school with them. I will just say that, not to be rude, but Steve Bannon is, like, the ghoul that I see when I get sleep paralysis. He is somebody who haunts my dreams as this almost shadowless, this this two-dimensional, cartoonishly evil figure. It's so hard to believe that he's real. He's just so—the things that he says are just so extreme that I, I don't understand how somebody can harbor all these views. He's like what you get when you're too ugly to join the Nazis. <laughs> so let's talk about the specific policy that Steve Bannon has helped implement— that is now sowing chaos across America. This is an an executive order that Donald Trump signed on Friday, January 27th. 
banning nationals from seven Muslim-majority countries, Iraq, Syria, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen, for at least the next 90 days. Um, the executive order also bans refugees from Syria indefinitely, and the admission of all refugees to the U.S. for the next four months. But it makes an exception for religious minorities, which actually implies Christians. Yeah. So, by the way, he did this on Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is a, a beautiful little twist of evil. Um, so, also on Holocaust Remembrance Day, by the way, his administration released a statement which didn't mention Jews. And then so later his administration explained that his Holocaust Remembrance Day statement didn't include Jews because other people were also killed in the Holocaust. It wasn't like it was a systematic targeting of Jewish people. He all lives mattered the Holocaust and did it on the same day that he announced the ban against Syrian refugees who are now suffering the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. And specifically Muslim Syrian refugees, because the Christians, right. he said right. later, he was into accepting. So in an interview with a Christian broadcasting network on Friday, he said that the Christian refugees from Syria would be prioritized. The refugee changes you're looking to make, as it relates to persecuted Christians, do you, do you see them as kind of a priority here? As yes. A, as a per, you do? Yes, they've been horribly treated. Do you know, if you were a Christian in Syria, it was impossible, very, very, at least very, very tough to get into the United States. If you were a Muslim, you could come in. But if you were a Christian, it was almost impossible. And the reason that was so unfair is that the, everybody was persecuted, in all fairness, but they were chopping off the heads of everybody, but more so the Christians. And I thought it was very, very unfair. So we are going to help them. Trump has denied, his administration has denied repeatedly that the travel ban is specifically a Muslim ban. Um, they put out a statement condemning the media for false reports, calling it a Muslim ban. They insist that this is necessary to make America safer. But no Syrian refugee has ever committed an attack on U.S. soil, not one. And since 1975, guess how many people have been killed by nationals from the countries that Trump has banned? Uh, is the answer zero? It is zero, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> cool. plays into what ISIS wants. Republican Senators Lindsey Graham and John McCain have condemned the ban and said, this executive order sends a signal, intended or not, that America does not want Muslims coming into our country. Um, they also said that they, quote, fear this executive order may do more to help terrorist recruitment than improve our security. But Trump has dismissed all, pretty much all the criticism and just believes that this is working out very nicely. Totally. It's not a Muslim ban, but we were totally prepared. It's working out very nicely. You see it at the airports. You see it all over. It's working out very nicely. And we're going to have a very, very strict ban, and we're going to have extreme vetting, which we should have had in this country for many years. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you very much. So the ban has been instituted with no warning, which left airports scrambling. I mean, like, the morality of the executive order aside, the logistics are just a nightmare. Donald Trump tweeted, if the ban were announced with a one-week notice, the, quote, bad would rush into our country during that week. A lot of bad, quote, dudes out there. Okay. <laughs> Does he understand how this works? <laughs> so, okay, so now we know why there was no one-week notice, but, like, I guess. But regardless, so airports were left to figure out what to do as planes were landing with people who are now banned 
from entering the country under this executive order. So we saw as people started landing and they started getting detained at the airport, lawyers were rushing to airports kind of heroically to help them pro bono and to help argue for them. And who we're going to hear from later, Tahani Abushi, was one of the people who did that. So kind of horrifically, some people who even had visas that would have allowed them into the country were kind of coerced into signing documents that made them voluntarily relinquish them. So they were told, you sign this document, you're going to get out of here quickly. And then they signed it and their visa was stamped, canceled. Yeah, because of how general the executive order was, it it just basically said any national. So there's a lot of confusion as to who is subject to this ban or not. So people who were dual citizens, for example, from a country that was included in the ban, some of these people were being turned away. It was complete chaos. People were terrified. This is literally splitting families apart. People who came from refugee camps, from some from Syria, some from other countries involved in this ban, who had went through an extreme vetting process already. So protesters descended on airport terminals around the country. From Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. to New York. And that is maybe the one silver lining in all of this is the amount of resistance that Americans are demonstrating against this ban. You know, and the stories are just so heartbreaking. There was one woman who was facing deportation to Chile from JFK who tried to kill herself when she found out that she was going to be sent back. Then there's a doctor who worked at the Cleveland Clinic. She's here on a visa. She was on her way back to the U.S. and was deported as soon as she landed because she carries a Sudanese passport. And while this was going on, Trump, of all things, was screening freaking Finding Dory at the White House. My family! I remember my family! They're out there somewhere. have to find them. Guys, you got to help me. Guys! Guys, hello? And isn't that the most disgusting juxtaposition you've ever heard in your life? Yeah, it's extremely... Brutally ironic because Finding Dory is about a character that's trying to reunite with her parents. And I think she eventually is able to reunite with her parents as opposed to the thousands of people who are going to be affected by this ban. That is so bleak. Uh, But then acting Attorney General Sally Yates stepped in and she was in control of the Department of Justice, and she said that the Department of Justice uh, could not, in good conscience, defend this executive order, which she was not convinced was a lawful order. So he almost immediately fired her. This also is kind of like an unheard of thing. Um, The last time somebody fired their own attorney general was when Nixon did in 1973, and it was called the Saturday Night Massacre. In breathtaking succession tonight, the following historic events occurred. The President of the United States demanded that the Attorney General fire Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox. The Attorney General, Elliot Richardson, refused and resigned. The President then ordered the Assistant Attorney General, William Ruckelshaus, to fire the Special Prosecutor. Ruckelshaus refused. The President immediately fired Ruckelshaus. Solicitor General Robert Bork quickly was named Acting Attorney General. Bork was ordered to fire Special Prosecutor Cox. He did. This is like the 2017 massacre. We're going to be seeing Trump firing a lot of his people that don't agree with him in the near future. We're going to be breaking a lot of records. Well, he's made that very clear. I mean, his statement 
in the firing of Sally Yates was extremely personal. Um, he referred to her actions as a, quote, betrayal, which is some very strong wording when Yates was doing essentially what she's supposed to be doing, which is upholding the, her interpretation and the, the department's de- interpretation of the Constitution. And that's what she cited in her decision to not enforce this it al- ban. It also implies that tr- Donald Trump thinks that he is the Constitution. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like if something is a betrayal of him when it's actually just like about the Constitution, what's legal in America? It's just whatever Trump, Donald Trump it's thinks. It's just him. It's just him. Wow. We live in truly horrific times. We're all just living in Donald Trump's brain right now. Yeah. Here are a couple of experiences that our listeners have been sending us in about how this ban affects them. Hi, my name is Sana. Um, I'm 22. I live in New York. And before that, originally Pakistani. And I feel greatly affected by the Muslim ban. Um, and lately I've thought a lot about how I am a U.S. citizen and what my citizenship means and whether or not it's really valid um, and how my status has changed just because I have a blue U.S. passport versus my fellow Pakistanis or my fellow immigrants. And this is on behalf of my roommate who does not wish to identify herself right now. She's currently at Karpathos in Greece on fieldwork and is stuck. She's currently on a student visa which can be easily revoked. So this is very scary for her to feel a bit helpless and a wee bit betrayed as well. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in their stories. We really appreciate it. Now in studio, we have Tahani Abushi. She's a partner with the Abushi Law Firm that handles immigration and civil rights. And she's also one of the organizers with the JFK No Ban group of lawyers who have been camped out in Terminal 4 since Saturday. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So you went to JFK just after the ban was implemented, and you've been there throughout the weekend. Can you tell us what that's been like, what your experience has been? So I've been asked this question a lot of times, and the really the, the answer that hits, you know, the most realistic answer is organized chaos. People just uh, impromptu showed up to the airport, lawyers, non-lawyers, social workers, <clears throat> translators, protesters, activists, whoever it is, and, you know, trying to do what we can with what we have at that moment. Um, but, you know, as of Saturday and Sunday, we didn't have printers. So we, you know, as soon as the order hit, before the order actually was filed on the federal docket, we got pictures of it. And then it was filed on the docket and we had a formal downloaded version of the order with, with the court's timestamp on it. And so we were going to the officials, to, to the law enforcement, and we were saying, you know, we're holding up our phone and saying, look, there's a federal order. And they were like, why are you showing me your phone? Do you want me to look through your phone? And can you describe or explain what their specific legal rights are and how that works? So when somebody lands on U.S. soil or is it attached to the visa, for example? So it depends on the visa type. So someone who just because they are at a port of entry to the U.S. doesn't mean they've been granted admission to the U.S. And depending on their status, they might have no rights or very few rights. Um, And also the status of the detainees very unique because they're not suspects. It's it's not a criminal matter where they are. They have a right to counsel, let's say, under the Constitution. 
um, the are there's no removal proceedings. It's simply you came to the country and we're sending you on a flight back because we have the discretion to do that. So one of my main questions is because the ban was um, signed kind of so haphazardly and implemented so haphazardly that CBP seemingly didn't have a total complete idea of what they were supposed to be doing. How does a lawyer speak with them and make a legal argument that these detainees should be released when there's no reason they should really be detained anyway? So all we could really do was argue with CBP. They seemed to have unfettered authority to do what they wanted. So there was no real direction. They were figuring out as it as it, they were going along. Uh, and the result of that were these indefinite detentions. Some people were there 12 hours, 16 hours, 48 hours. We know people's cell phones were searched. Their social medias were searched. We had some reports in New York and then in other states where they were questioned about the level of religiosity. You know, how Muslim are you, essentially? And one of the things that was boasted about in the, in the executive order was, you know, we're going to give DHS and CBP more tools to really do their job, and we're not going to uh, restrict them anymore or put them at essentially a disadvantage. And is it still essentially that way, Has or has anything been clarified since Saturday? They're, they've been making changes to it and not updating the date of the change. One, uh, they clarified the dual nationality uh, issue that came up, so people who are citizens of the U.S. and uh, one of the seven designated countries uh, their status was up in the air. So they were citizens, but they also held this passport. So what does that mean for them? So that's one of the issues we're facing. And then the second update that happened was clarification on the status of LPRs, legal permanent residents, or people who have green cards. Um, and so people with green cards are permitted to board U.S.-bound flights. That means they're not that they're banned. They're able to come into the U.S., They'll probably still be detained, most likely, and then however long that detention lasts, they'll most likely be released. Um, we've so far had everybody that's been detained in the airport has been released, as we know of, as of the order of Judge Donnelly. What advice do you have for people who have travel plans coming up who is still vulnerable under this executive order? So the ban is set for 30 days as of now. So what I've been trying to advise people to do is if you decide to travel, um, make sure in your, you know, whatever airport you are flying into that someone is aware that you're flying in, they have your contact information, and that you make sure you get your information to an attorney who can be on standby. So when Donald Trump is talking about wanting more extreme vetting, do you have any idea what that could possibly entail? Like, how do you vet more? What he's, what he's chasing after is an ideology. The executive order mentions malicious intent. Um, I don't know how you can ascertain malicious intent. You know, I, I, I don't know if it was New York, but we we're in communication with lawyers from other states, and um, some of the detainees were saying um, they were asked if they support Trump. Why can't you say no? <laughs> I don't. I don't have malicious intent. I don't do that. <laughs> it's like no. I love Trump. No, we don't. Yeah. You know, and and there. And, I mean, this is America. That's not a rubric for whether or not you're American. Trump is not our standard. 
<laughs> he's not the litmus test. If, oh, do you like Trump? Great. You're American. Welcome. You don't like Trump? Okay. Back into the room. Right. And in your estimation as an immigration attorney, would you say it's fair to say that this law discriminates against Muslims? And if so, how likely is it that this will be upheld? Oh, it absolutely discriminates against Muslims. And, you know, it's even, you know, Giuliani was on the news the other night saying, you know, patting himself on the back for figuring out a legal way to ban what is it, and you know, to implement an illegal policy. Oh, you know, Donald Trump told me, hey, I want to ban Muslims. I know it's illegal. Can you get me around it? This is this is a former mayor of New York. This is on national television and something that's clear and blatantly illegal. He's telling us, no, I found a way to do it. Yeah. So yesterday, Trump fired the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, right. for saying that she didn't find the executive order to be convincingly legal. Right. And he replaced her with Dana Bente, um, who was the attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, who immediately said, it is legal. Right. How can two attorneys say that the same executive order is legal or illegal? How can they have completely opposite opinions? Uh, one is approved by Trump and one isn't. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. really the, the short of it. Um, Sally Yates was absolutely correct. And Judge Donnelly is absolutely correct. And all of our senators and Congress people who are who are speaking out against it, they're absolutely correct that this is wrong. You have religious exception in the clause. You are preferring non-Muslims over Muslims. You are creating religious exemptions. This is like constitutional law 101. You just don't do it. Um, and it's one of the fundamentals of our of our values of our country. And now that's just going totally out the window. And you and it kind of makes you feel crazy because they're getting up there and be like, no, it has nothing to do with Muslims. No, we're not. No, what do you, no, you're crazy. Look, we love Muslims. Look, Egypt is not on the list. And that's not okay. The the answer to this ban is not ban more people. <laughs> you know, so I don't know what they're trying to like pull people to make certain arguments, but there's no preferred people here. It doesn't this this whole thing, this whole executive order needs to be just done away with. And so you said earlier that now Terminal 4 at JFK you have printers and stuff. Can yes. you talk about how you're set up, what you guys are doing now going forward? Um, we have people from all walks of life, all types of backgrounds pitching in, coming up with how ways to streamline, mostly one information gathering. Because unless the detainees and their families tell us what's going on. We don't have any idea of what's going on. We've had a lot of people from social media send us tons of food. Uh, it's been really funny. Like, I think, uh, you know, more than enough food, everything you can think of. And, and last night I was there and I saw uh, makeup. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> and, you know, and people the essentials. were like, uh, pillows and toothpaste. And, and when I just saw the, the, the makeup, I think it was a uh, lipstick or something. I started laughing. I'm like, are, are we looking that bad? <laughs> you know, like, um, please do something yeah, to like, yourself. Fix your face, please, something. And are you guys getting paid for what you're doing? No. <laughs> we get paid in upholding our American values and making sure we have strong society. So, you know, we're not seeing this again and you know, the next generation. Tahani Abushi, thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for the work that you've done. Thank you very much for having me, ladies.
And now for my favorite segment of the week, How to Handle the Dicks, where we talk about what we're doing to uh, maintain our sanity in a totally insane world. Prachi, what are you doing this week? Please don't say that I'm like, I watched 30 minutes of TV yesterday. (laughs) I treated Uh, myself to one sitcom Joanna, you know me way too well. I did do that, and I'm not going to tell you what show it was because it's embarrassing. What is but it? But no, I'm not it's telling. going to be like, Rachel Maddow. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> um, no, I'm not even going to say. You guys can all take guesses. I'll field okay. the guesses. If somebody guesses it correctly, I'll say yes, uh, okay. but it's not a good show. Anyway, I this weekend, one of the things that was healing for me was going to some of the protests and rallies. I have, I've been thinking a lot about this, obviously, because— I am the children of immigrants, and I know people who are personally being affected by this ban, and it's really scary. So it was hard for me to step away and take care of myself while watching the news come in and feeling like, you know, feeling really helpless that I couldn't do anything. So going to the protests was really healing for me. And I then also, when I got back, I paint. So one of the things that I did was just channel some of that energy into painting um, I painted a big fist and listened to Rage Against the Machine while doing it. And you know what? It was amazing. I saw that fist, and it was an amazing fist. Thank you. It was my fist. I thought it was. <laughs> um, I My week has been significantly stupider than that. I had like a hard weekend because my apartment spontaneously fell apart. It was raining in my living room for three days. And also there was a sound from my toilet that sound like that sounded like high-pitched screaming for the entire weekend. And what I found is that when things are physically unlivable in my apartment, I was not thinking about Donald Trump as much because I had more immediate things that I actually had to so fix. So basically your coping me- mechanism has been when want to put one disaster out of your mind, have another one rise yeah, up. Make that some, is a little bit more pressing. Make something <laughs> immediately terrible. Well, that's great. That sounds extremely positive, Joanna. You know, it really, I don't recommend it to anyone else. I'm just being honest. One thing that I have been doing that I'm not proud of at all, I've been watching a lot of Real Housewives of New York, and it really shuts your mind flat out. I could have yes. surgery done on me. I have no sensory capabilities when I'm watching that. I bet a lot of people right now are watching shows that they just absolutely hate just to get through this to turn their brains <laughs> I'm not going to say I hate that, but I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> it definitely is numbing. Thanks so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and please rate and review us on iTunes so other people can discover the podcast. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mandana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. Brad Fisher mixed the episode. Got a Big Time Dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Friday, and who the hell knows what the world will look like then.